very powerful <clears throat> illustration. I don't think I could have shared their story better than how they shared it themselves. Charles Spurgeon, a great British preacher of the 19th century, made this comment. He said, the only homage in which wickedness can pay to righteousness is actually to persecute it. Do we have the PowerPoint up behind me? Okay, there it is. Thanks. Jesus, in describing the believer's life in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus. This is the eighth Beatitude where Jesus talks about the characteristics of genuine faith. And everything about these Beatitudes really talk about a person who's had a transformation in their hearts, transformation in their lives. And this Beatitude starts out this way, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted. How many go, this just seems so foreign to our way of thinking, doesn't it? How many here go, I'm going to celebrate when I get persecuted. But yet Jesus tells us, blessed are those who are persecuted, but he tells us the reason. You know, it's not that we're being persecuted because we've done some stupid thing, you know. Sometimes we are, we're unwise and we get persecuted. You know, people get annoyed and offended by our behavior. No, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. They're doing the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now notice it started out the beatitude. The first one was blessed are the, uh, the poor in spirit for they inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now he's closing the beatitude with the same promise. And then he goes on, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you simply because of me, simply because you're a child of God, simply because you're a Christian. So people, you know, uh, are going to persecute Christians because of who they are and what they do and what they say. We have to anticipate this happening in our lives. Now, I want you to notice that it follows the beatitude just above it. It said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And it's interesting, last week, if you were here, I talked about the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And, and so often when we're peacekeeping, we're just, we're not dealing with issues and we're trying to appease and accommodate and eventually uh, the issues blow up on us and we actually don't have peace. We, we may think we have it for a time, but ultimately those issues surface. But peacemakers are the people who actually address the issues and sometimes there is difficulty in addressing issues, but eventually those issues are resolved and peace comes into the situation. But you know when we're busy making peace, sometimes we end up in conflict. And this is the verse that Jesus is now moving towards. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Those who are experience conflict because they've done the right thing. You know, a lot of people suffer for doing the wrong thing. But we're talking about people who are suffering for doing the right th- thing. And I want to look at three critical concepts regarding the nature, and I'm going to call it biblical persecution. In other words, I'm being, I'm being uh, hassled, insulted, reviled, mocked, uh, you know, maybe even beaten. And for some people, they've even given up their lives because they were Christians. And let's look at these three critical components. First of all, It comes as a result of the right reasons. Now, Jesus specifies that. He has to make that clear because so often when we read this, we misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. This is probably one of the most misunderstood Beatitudes, you know, because we can say, oh, I'm being persecuted. 
when in reality maybe we've just not been very wise. So we're not talking about being persecuted for the wrong reason. But here in verse 10 it says, because of what's righteousness sake, because of me, or because of the gospel. We'll see that in verse 12. So when we follow Jesus, and when the life of Christ is being lived out through us, we have to anticipate. You see, we have to put this in our mind that we're going to experience some negative responses back from us just because we're a follower of Christ. I want you to get that in your head because when it happens, you're going to be so surprised. You're going, hey, listen, my life was such a mess before. I was causing so much pain and grief, and all of a sudden I get my life right, and I'm having all these people come against me. What's going on here, you know? And sometimes persecution even comes from other people who say they're Christians. So we have to understand something, you know, you know, sometimes when people are really walking with God and you've got people in the church who are maybe, you know, just going through the motions, they're getting convicted by this person who's doing the right thing. And we're going to see that as I keep unpacking these thoughts today. Notice it says here the kind of attitude we should have, and we'll go into it a little bit more later, but it says, rejoice and be glad. How many think that's an interesting response to somebody not treating me well? How many here you go, that's my first response, Pastor. I just start rejoicing and I'm really happy when people are treating me poorly. Anybody here, you just get all happy about that? Oh yeah, right. You see, how many are already understanding this is going to take a supernatural response and not just a normal natural response? See, Jesus is telling us, here's the right attitude. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. You know, a lot of us, you know, how many here like to be rewarded for the good things you're doing on earth? Anybody here like to be rewarded? Sure, of course, we all do, right? We're hoping that I'm doing this good thing, that there's some benefit in doing that. But Jesus says sometimes we're going to do things on earth, there's going to be no earthly benefit to it, but there's going to be a great reward in heaven. And this is one of those areas when people are treating us poorly because we're children of God. And then it says, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, the godly people have always experienced this persecution. So we're entering into, oh, I'm, I'm actually understand what it means to be a child of God. You know, and I, when I look at the Old Testament, this is so interesting to me. You have you know, wonderful prophets. But you know, most of the prophets were false prophets in the Old Testament. And the good prophets, many times, were not popular. Does anybody know that? They, you know, they didn't have bestsellers. You know, they weren't, you know, people knew who they were, but they didn't like them. You know, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes, what happened to some of them. So it's interesting, uh, as we look at this text. Now, Jesus says in verse 11 that we're blessed when persecuted not if we're persecuted, okay? So it's not if you're going to be persecuted, it's when you're going to be persecuted. Persecution is a part of the Christian life. Most of you aren't going, oh, praise God for that, Pastor. See, I I know this is not the most popular topic today, but I think at the end you're going to walk away going, oh, I get what's going on here. See, Jesus said that persecution is a part of our lives. Look what he said in Mark's Gospel. He said, Peter said, you know, they were talking about the cost of following Jesus. You know, a lot of us want to talk about the benefits of following Jesus. And I think there are tremendous benefits in following Jesus. But today I'm looking at the cost of following Jesus. He says, Peter says, you know, we've left everything to follow you. We've given up our livelihood. We've given up our lives to follow you. And then Jesus said this, truly I tell you, 
No one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. In other words, if you're giving up things for God, God says, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. That's what he's telling us here. You're going to get homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. So everything you give up, you're getting back, is what he's saying. So don't worry about that stuff. See, we get so locked into trying to hang on to the things that we think are important. But if we're willing to just say, look, my hands are open, God. You can do what you want. You know what? You can, you can write whatever you want into my story. I'm perfectly content with that. And I know if you're calling me to give up something, you're going to replace it in my life. But then he adds this next little line. Now notice all the other ones lined up. But here comes this one out. It seems like it's out of the blue. He says, along with persecution. So in other words, yeah, you give up this, you'll get that, but you're also getting this, persecution. And in the age to come, what? Eternal life. So Jesus is trying to point us to the fact that, yeah, in time, in a moment, you may suffer, but ultimately, you're going to be amazingly rewarded. And then I, I remember this parable. I was thinking about this this morning, and I get up and I reflect on what I'm going to preach on. And I was thinking about this parable. He says, others, this is people who are hearing the word of God. And then he says, some people receive the word of God, but it doesn't benefit them in the long run. There's only some people whose hearts are open, they become fruitful. But he said, look, others are like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But then he says, but since they have no root, there's no endurance, there's no substance to their faith, he says, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, let's go back to what Jesus said a moment ago. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Now, why would he say that? Listen, when you and I endure persecution, it just says something about the condition of your soul. You are a true follower of God. You see, non you know, you can hear a wonderful message, and a lot of people have heard the gospel, and they've heard all the benefits of the gospel, but the moment there's a cost to something, a lot of people say, I don't want to pay the cost. But when you and I are saying, no, I'm prepared to pay the cost, I believe that this is it. This is the most important thing in life, and I'm giving my life to it. I'm putting God above everything else. I'm not going to put anything else above God. And if it costs me something, that's fine and dandy. I'm prepared to pay that. This is so amazing. You know, I think persecution has a way of determining where we stand with Jesus. That's the point I'm driving. You know, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. He's talking about, you know, his model of the Christian life. And then he says this, persecutions and sufferings. So let's go back here. This, you know, it's great. You know how, what I've been teaching. You know how I've been living. You know the purpose of my life. You see my faith. You see how I've patiently endured. You see how I've loved people. You see how, I've, you know, again, the word endurance. But then he says, also you've witnessed how I've been persecuted and how I've suffered. Now he's adding these things into the Christian life. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're always shocked because God would allow some difficulties to come into our lives. And sometimes the thought is, hey, God, if you're so loving, why are you letting this happen to me? Anybody ever have that thought run through your mind? 
I have to confess, that's ran through my mind when I was a brand new Christian and I went through difficult times. I said, hey God, if you're really for me, why am I going through this stuff? And I didn't realize that what God was doing was developing something inside of me that was lacking in my life. You know, I needed to be stronger. I needed to have my character refined and be purified. And it took a lot of work to move me from what I was to what God wanted me to become, which is to become like Jesus. And how many recognize that that's a journey and a process? And that's really the goal of our lives. The goal of our lives isn't just to live life and have fun. I mean, that's what I think our culture says it is. But the goal of our lives is to become people of significance, people who are like God, and people who are having an amazing impact in the world in which they're living. That's God's greater purpose for our lives. And then he names some of the places where he suffered persecution. And yet he says this, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In other words, I survived it. I went through it and I survived those experiences. What's the Holy Spirit saying through the Apostle Paul here? Well, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's my thing. If you are being persecuted because you simply you're a Christian, that means you're a godly person. And if you've never experienced Christian, uh, persecution, you have to say to yourselves, what kind of a light am I letting out of my life? You know, if I'm getting along with everybody and everybody thinks I'm wonderful, that may be a bad place to be because that's what Paul, uh, Jesus said. That's how they treated the false prophets. When all men speak well of you, beware, he said. That's how they treated the false prophets. But when you're truly God's servant, you're not going to be compromising and giving in to things. You're going to be saying, you know, I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that. And people will not be happy with the fact that you're not going along with their evil. Isn't that true? Absolutely. It's going to happen. He says, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Craig Bloomberg says this, this persecution, oh, Peter says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. So in other words, when this happens, this is not, this is not abnormal. I think a lot of us think that when difficulties and testings and persecution comes, we go, oh, this is abnormal. Peter goes, no, no, this is normal stuff, guys. This is what's going to happen. Arm your mind. Be prepared for it. Don't let it shock you. You know, how many here can honestly say that you were, you're kind of like a first generation Christian, you became a Christian, uh, maybe you just didn't grow up in Christianity, you just became a Christian, somebody shared the gospel with you, and so all of a sudden you were told that's going to be a great life, and then the moment hits when you get persecution, you go, what in the world's going on here? It's like a shock. You know, And so Peter says, hey, don't consider this as surprising that this fiery ordeal has come on you to test you. He says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. See, if I'm going to become like Christ, I'm going to experience things that Jesus experienced. And one of them was actually suffering. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. How many here, you know, somebody says... You're a stupid Christian. You go, thank you, Lord. You know, at least they see the light, right? See, we've got to think differently. We're trying to think the way the Bible thinks. Follow that. The spirit of glory and God are resting on you. You know, that's one of the tests. You know, when everybody speaks well of you, you go, hey, I need my light bulbs out. You know what I'm saying? But if, if you've got a few uh, people that are not happy with you, go, oh, the light's functioning. I'm, I'm letting my little light shine, you know? And somebody's trying to blow it out, right? You know, some of you know that song. 
If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler or a busybody. So, you know, those are the wrong reasons for being persecuted. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Craig Blueburn says this, This persecution, however, must, not be the res- must be the result of righteous living and not due to individual sin or tactlessness. I'll paraphrase it. Don't be an idiot. Okay? If that's why you're getting persecuted, that's not a good thing. You know? Have a little more wisdom than that. But every saint in Scripture underwent persecution. I could just think of a list. Remember David being persecuted by King Saul. Look at Moses. The people got so upset with Moses. You know, Moses is just leading by following the cloud by day and the fire by night. And they're going, Moses, you've taken us out in this wilderness. They were going to stone the poor guy, you know? What a bad leader. He's just following God, right? He was being persecuted by his own people. Then you think of uh, Daniel. How many know Daniel was a person of integrity, but his co-workers hated him. They, they saw the king's favor was on Daniel, so they had to come up with a way to get rid of him, and he ends up in the lion's den. Isn't that amazing? How many know God delivered him from the lion's den? How many have ever been in the lion's den? Not literally the lion's den, but you know, figuratively speaking, you got into trouble because you're a Christian, but you know what? God got you out again. I've been in, I've been out. This is amazing. You can learn a lot of things. Think of the three Hebrew children. Wow. They got tossed in a fiery furnace. Think of Joseph. His brothers betrayed him and sold him down the river, but God used that terrible thing for good. You know, have the right attitude when you're suffering for other people's anger and, you know, you know their, uh, the conviction that's being brought because of your life. Why is it that persecution, then, is one element of the Christian life? And that's why I want to talk about the second point, why it happens. Why does God allow us to be persecuted? Isn't that a fair question? Well, you know what Jesus said? You know, the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. So we have to understand that our culture today, you know, embraces evil. Does anybody know that? That's what's going on today. We have, it's not the people. Let's move the people off for a minute. We have a spirit, you know, satanic, anti-Christian spirit at work through people, just as God's spirit's working through people, and they're propagating an ungodly message, Right? And so the world hated Jesus. The world hates what he has to say. I mean, you can talk about God all you want to. You can talk about Buddha. You can talk about all of these things, and nobody gets excited. Just bring up the name of Jesus. I just dare you to bring that name up in a conversation. And you get this amazing reaction. Anybody experience that? You go, well, why is it? Why can't I bring up, you know, why do you get upset if I talk about Jesus? I could talk about Buddha, it wouldn't phase you one iota, but why does the name of Jesus get you upset? That's, that's very interesting. You know, I don't hear people stub their tongue and go, oh, Buddha. You know, I just don't hear that, you know. But I hear some other words being said out of people's mouths. I'm just pointing that out. And then we have a society, you know, that tolerates sin. And I've been sharing this recently. You know, our whole culture is like, You know, we want freedom to sin. Isn't that true? We're tolerating everything today, but we don't tolerate people who point out to people that maybe that's unhealthy, right? You know, so the gospel says, no, this is freedom from sin, and society's saying, no, it's a freedom to sin. And what I'm going to argue is that if you're sinning, it's destroying you. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Sin's going to destroy us. That's the nature of it. 
And so here, Jesus now talks about our identification with him. And then John, I I found it interesting. John had a lot of interesting verses. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Okay? Why does it hate you, he says? If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. The world is 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 a way of looking at life apart from God. It's a worldview that's taking God out of the equation, the person of Christ out of the equation. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So folks, if you and I are true believers, we're going to have a few haters. That's what you need to understand. That's why we're being persecuted. Because you and I are loved by God. And you know what? How do you, how do you describe anti-Semitism? It's irrational. Why pick on those poor Jewish people? Why? Because they're God's people. That's why. You know, why, why is the, you know, in the book of Revelation, why is this dragon trying to kill the child that's coming out of the woman? Why is he trying to destroy, you know, the children of, of, of the seed of this woman? That's what, which is you and I, by the way, the Christians. Why is the enemy trying to destroy us? Because it hates God. And when he looks at us, he sees God in us. That's why he hates it so much. Um, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Wow. I think we need to realize that the majority of people in our community are dominated by a sinful nature. They're just being controlled by it. You know, And Jesus says this in John's Gospel. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because why? Their deeds were evil. Nobody wants to have the, you say to them, hey, that's not healthy. That's, that's, that's unhealthy behavior. That's evil behavior. That's destructive behavior. You know what's going to happen when you start talking like that? You're going to be persecuted. Come on now. You're going to be told you're a hater, when in reality you're the true lover. Because the haters are the people who go, oh, yeah, go ahead, do what you want to do. Destroy yourself. Who cares about you? Right? It's the opposite of what you would think. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Hey, if you've done the wrong thing, you don't want to walk up and say, oh, yeah, I just want to confess I've done the wrong thing. That, that, that takes a lot of grace to be able to do that. But generally speaking, people don't do that. Haven't you noticed, you know, I don't see a, you know, line up to come to church on Sundays. I mean, if you think about it, there's 100,000 people living in Red Deer. There's only so many churches. Could you imagine if everybody in Red Deer wanted to go to church this morning? Where would we put them all? Do you see that lineup? Why? Well, not all. I think a lot of people are just ignorant. But part of it is because they don't want to expose what they're doing. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Hey, when you are doing the right thing, you don't mind. Hey, God, show up to it right now. I'm, I'm happy. Hey, if Jesus came back to this planet right now, I'd be dancing and rejoicing. Woohoo! You know, we're going to get all this nonsense straightened out. The best person that can rule the whole planet's going to be here. Isn't that awesome? The one that, who loves us completely unconditionally, is, is Christ himself. Wow, that'd be awesome. Well, God utilizes persecution as the highest expression of witness. You know, the, it's interesting. In the Greek language, you know, the word 
witness and martyr is the same word. You see, you say, well, how do you decide which word to translate into witness and which translate into martyr? Depends on the context. But it's the same word. In other words, when you and I, Jesus says, I'm going to make you my witnesses. I'm making you my martyrs. You are a martyr today. Did you know that? You're a martyr. You are laying down your life for the kingdom of God. And for some people, they literally lay down their physical lives as a witness to the grace and the goodness of God. Isn't that powerful? You know? You're going, wow, that's intense, Pastor. Yeah, it is. But think about it. You know, sometimes we think, well, this isn't going to happen in our world. But I want to tell you the story of a young woman. Well, young girl. Her name was Rachel Scott. She was 12 years old. She, she had a life-changing experience at 12. She later wrote in her journal, everyone was there at the altar and I felt so drawn to it. You have to understand that I was so young. She's writing when she's about 16 about her experience when she was 12. To be drawn that way was nothing short of God's spirit at work. That night I accepted Jesus into my heart. I was saved. From that time on, her family saw a tremendous spiritual beginning to develop inside of Rachel's heart. When she was 16, her mother gave her journal after journal. Rachel began chronicling her spiritual journey and the cost that she was paying simply as a follower of Christ. She broke up with the boy she loved in order to keep herself chaste. That's pretty powerful. And after she was rejected by five of her closest friends because she was openly a Christian at her high school. You know, a lot of Christian kids are just silent because they don't want to be rejected. Rachel opened up and was sharing about Jesus. On April 20th, 1998, one year to the day before she died, she wrote these words in her journal. I have no more personal friends at school, but you know that it's all worth it to me. If I had to sacrifice everything, I will. Rachel had no idea of the sacrifice she was about to make because one year later on that date, she sat outside a cafeteria when two troubled kids came to the school. Now, these kids were also rejected by everybody, but they were filled with rejection and anger and hatred, and they came carrying guns. She had shared her faith with them. She had prayed for them. And that day, she had drawn a picture of 13 tears falling down into a, uh, a, a, a plant. They opened fire and they shot her three times. They left to find more victims, returning to where she laid in pain, crying out. One of them lifted her head by her ponytail and said, Do you still believe in God? And she said, Yes. And they ended her life. But the story doesn't end there. See, that was in Columbine in the United States, in Colorado. But you know what? And two years ago, two, three years ago, they made a new movie out and released it called I Am Not Ashamed. It's her story. And basically, what's happening now in the United States, that her brother, there was 12 other people killed in that shooting. Her brother, who was actually in the library where the shooting was going on, miraculously survived not getting shot. Some of them did. And he, and he, and he got up and he grabbed some of the kids that were still you know, okay, and got him out of the library. Those guys came back into the library. They were gone. The point is, he's gone around with his mom sharing the story of Rachel all across the United States. Thousands of young people have come to faith in Christ as a result of her testimony. Now, it's very painful, but it's true. What's the value of persecution is not only the impact it has on an unbelieving world, but it also guards 
a guard in our own heart against pride and worldliness in our lives. You know when you're being persecuted, it sharpens you. You know what? I've discovered something about life. I'm a little older. I can say this. People who don't struggle don't mature very much. If you're you're living a life and you've had a lot of struggles, you need to get down on your knees and thank God for every single struggle you've gone through because it's helping you become the person God's designing you to be. You know, so rejoice in these things. That's what I'm trying to tell you because the people who are living complacent, you know, lives that everything seems to be going their way, a lot of them are very shallow in their experience with God. The people who go through adversity and difficulty and persecutions are the ones who are really growing spiritually. I like what Thomas Kempis wrote. And he lived between 1380 and 1471. He said this, It is good that we at times endure opposition and that we are evilly and untruly judged when our actions and intentions are good. How many have ever tried to do a good thing and people misunderstood your intention? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? He says, but you know what? You need to endure that. Often such experiences promote humility and and protects us from vain glory. For then we seek God's witness in the heart. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, this will keep you humble, man. You, you, You don't walk around going, you know, I do these good things and everyone thinks I'm a good guy. How about doing a good thing and everyone blasts you for it? And, ma- and makes you the bad guy. He said, that's actually a good thing. You'll walk in humility then. Then he goes on and says this, Christ was despised on earth by man, and in his greatest need amid insults was abandoned by those who knew him and by his friends. Remember, they all rejected him in the garden. And you dare to complain of anyone? Christ had his adversaries and slanderers, and you wish to have everyone as friends and benefactors. In other words, he's saying, you mean, you, you want a life that's so easy. You don't want anybody to oppose you. You don't want any enemies in your life. You just want everyone to love on you and say how awesome you are. Isn't that what we want? Whence will your patience win its crown if it has encountered nothing of adversity? What's he telling us? He's saying, listen, guys, it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. We're trying sometimes. You're going, Pastor, this isn't even encouraging. What are you telling us this stuff for? I'm giving you the real reality of what it really means to walk with God and to really mature in our faith with Almighty God. You know, in North America, we've had it so good for so long, we just don't really value you know, the difficulties that are happening around our world. You know, people suffering all over the world all the time. You know, I still remember one day I was standing in, in India, and I've gone there a lot of times, and I've been teaching in the seminary, and I had one of those moments. I've had a few of them in my life where the Spirit of God just drops a thought in my heart. And you've probably had those moments. God just kind of drops a thought. And as I'm teaching, and there's these 12, 13, 15 beautiful young seminarians. I mean, these guys have been studying the Bible four or five years now and really committed to Christ. And I'm teaching them, and the Spirit of God drops it in my mind. Some of these students are going to suffer because of my name, and some of them are even going to die. And you know, it really choked me up because, you know, it's one thing when you're teaching people here in like higher education and they're going out to get a job. How would you like to prepare people to die? It changes your whole thinking. But you know, sometimes as Christians, we've gotten so far away from this. We're so enamored by this world. Listen, this world is passing away. This world is not all there is to it. We need to get a higher view of life. And so as I thought about that, I felt unworthy to be teaching these young people. 
I really did. I felt unworthy to even be teaching these young people. And you know, before that year was up, one of them was martyred because he was preaching the gospel and some people took issue and they murdered him. And that was the end of it. How sad was that? Let me move on to the third point. He says here, rejoice and be glad. Notice some of the responses of the people in the past. You know, that word rejoice and be glad literally means jump for joy. I don't know about you, but when, when people are not treating me well, I don't tend to jump for joy. But if we're, if we're being treated poorly because we've done the right thing, if we're being treated poorly because we're simply a Christian, if we're being treated poorly because we're bringing the good news to people and are rejecting it, we should be jumping for joy. That's how they treated, it says, uh, the people in the past. Notice the apostles, when they were preaching the gospel, they were actually taken and beaten. And now they're coming back to their church and they say, that's it, I'm I'm giving my resignation right now. I'm no longer going to be preaching the gospel. This is way too difficult. No, it says, and the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because of what? They had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. You see, they had witnessed the disgrace and shame that Jesus had endured for them. And so now they felt, you know what, now we're having the opportunity to endure disgrace for that beautiful one who died for us. They counted it a joy. Isn't that an amazing attitude? How many think that's kind of an amazing attitude? They said, we have been counted worthy. You know what, I've ever thought about it. all the martyrs. I've met some people. You know, we have, we have one of our missionaries. He says, Pastor, if I get killed, please bring my body home. I'm a Canadian, even though he was born in Iran. He says, please bring me home. I said, okay, I'll do that. You know, I promise, because he made me do that in front of the congregation one night. You know, what could I say? I'm, now I'm committed to doing it, but, but he knows me. If I say I'll do it, I'll do it, you know. But he keeps saying to me, you know, the reason I don't want to get married is because I know what I do is so dangerous. Everywhere I go, I'm preaching. And uh, my wife is freaking out because he keeps saying, well, pa- you know, pastor, I want you to come with me. So I'm going to be with him preaching to a whole bunch of Muslim people here, Lord willing, in about six months. So, you know, I'll be joining him on the front line there. And he's radical. He's going he's gonna to tell them, you know, if they don't come to Christ, they're going to perish. And many of them are turning their lives over to God. It's really powerful what's happening. And he wants me to see what's going on and be a part of that, you know. Look at how emphatic it is in the original language. They rejoice that they were so graced as to be disgraced for the name of Christ. Tertullian, who is a 2nd or 3rd century Christian writer, says of the primitive Christians that they took more comfort in their sufferings than in their deliverances. (laughs) I just go, these guys were on a different page. How many could say the early church was on a little different page? Okay. I'm just trying to bring this balance back into North America and this, this message here. Notice Paul and Silas. You know, they're preaching the gospel. They got thrown in the jail. And I love this story in Acts chapter 16. He goes, and after they'd been severely flogged, I mean, they were really beaten. They were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is cruel and unusual punishment, by the way. You know, what? We, we, we talk about those terms, but this is the reality of it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. How many know that when you can sing in your troubles, people are going to pay attention? Isn't that true? 
I mean, if people see that you're suffering, but you have a joy in your heart and you're singing praises to God, people are going to go, what in the world is going on here? How can you do this? I can see what you're going through. Hey, all the prisoners were listening to them, it says. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Isn't that amazing? In other words, they got set free. They were released from that situation. And you know what they did? They went out and preached the gospel to the jailer. And the jailer became a Christian. Isn't that neat? And it says, and then the jailer was actually, you know, bandaging them up after he had been the one that beat them. I mean, isn't there some amazing irony there? Could you imagine Paul and, and Silas could have been so bitter and angry at this man? Instead, they just showed compassion and grace to him. That's powerful. Let me close with a story. Martin Niemöller was a World War I hero in Germany. Became a pastor. Then Nazism took over Germany. And so he got in trouble. Eventually got in trouble because he, you know, he started realizing what was going on and he was outspoken and he was put in jail. And he, he spent uh, time in prison and concentration camps. He was even sent to Dachau concentration camp. But Hitler knew if he could get Niemöller to come over to where he was, he could influence a lot of people to support his cause. And so one day he sent a former friend of his he sent a friend of his, but who had now embraced Nazism, over to try to get him to switch sides. And so he gets to the jail and he goes, Martin, Martin, what are you doing in there? And Niemöller says to him, my friend, why are you not in here? <laughs> you know, in other words, what are you doing out there? You're on the wrong side, buddy. You got to identify, you know, with the people that are being oppressed. That's powerful. What am I trying to get at today? I'm trying to get at that persecution is a part of the Christian life. How many see that? How many see that if I'm walking with God and I'm relating His light, it's going to impact people around us? And some of them are going to be attracted, but some of them are going to be repelled. We're going to have adversaries. It's not the people, folks. Don't focus on the people. Remember, Paul was a persecutor before he became a Christian. Isn't that right? That's true. Let's stand. Amen. You say, you know, Pastor, this sounds quite theoretical, but when it happens, it won't be. You know, as you're listening to this, some of you say, I'm, I'm kind of afraid. You know, I have a little bit of a fear this is going to happen. Can I just tell you what John says? Perfect love casts out fear. How many here believe that God knows exactly what you and I need in our lives? How many believe that? I do. He knows exactly what we need. God is only going to let into your life exactly what He knows. You need to become the person He's designed you to become. I pray today that God will give you and I the grace and the strength. You know, I remember reading this years ago because, you know, I I don't feel like I'm a super courageous person. And John Huss was a a man who was preaching God's gospel fearlessly and he was arrested. And they, he wouldn't recant his faith. And so they said to him, we're going to burn you at the stake. And so the night before they did that, He was sitting in his cell with a candle 
and he put his hand over the flame to see, how am I going to endure this, right? And immediately his hand flinched and it moved back. You know, we're all fearful of that pain, that suffering, that difficulty to be misunderstood. The Spirit of God spoke into his life and he said, John, it's not today, it's tomorrow. In other words, God was saying to him, when the day comes when you have to experience that trial, my grace will be sufficient for you. And the day they were burning John Huss at the stakes, he was singing praises to Almighty God. Isn't that amazing? Now, the night before, he could just couldn't even have handled it. But that day, he was praising God. You know why? Because whatever God brings into our lives, at that moment, God's grace will be there. And can I just say something to us? That one of the problems we're having in our culture today is, as a church, we're so fearful of being misunderstood. Folks, you are misunderstood. Relax. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be foolish, but don't be ashamed. Walk out, stand up, speak the truth in love, take the chips as they come your way, and allow God's grace to empower you through that experience, and that you will become a martyr because you are one. You're a witness with your life. And for some, they've even laid down their lives. But let me remind us all, if if God asked us to lay down our life, do you know the next moment we're standing in his presence? That's where we're headed. We're all headed there anyways. So let's ask God for grace today to handle what God's going to bring our way. Amen? Let's open our hearts to him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, your word declares to us, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake persecuted because of me, persecuted for the gospel. Lord, help us not to be so foolish or unwise to draw attention to ourselves, negative attention, and then call it persecution. But Lord, help us to do the right things. And if persecution comes our way, that your grace will fill our hearts and that you will give us the love and the compassion and the understanding and the tremendous witness to the people who are coming against us. In Jesus' name. God bless you as you leave this morning.